0: Good morning Christ Central. My name is Danielle Nicholson uh, and today we're reading from Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 50. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. We're glad that you could join
1: us this morning as we continue our sermon series in the summer called Summer of Parables as we look at Jesus' teaching in parables and the gospel according to Matthew. And Today we're back in Matthew chapter 13 covering the last of what they call a kingdom parables. Kingdom parables are a group of parables that are found in Matthew chapter 13. They talk about um, stories and illustrations that tell us what it means to live under God's rule in the heaven and the kingdom of God that is coming, uh, that was ushered in with Christ that came. So that's why we call it kingdom parables. And next week, we'll also look at different parables in Matthews throughout the summer as well. There was a news headline back in 2021 that said, a man who told everyone to buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin is now absolutely living the dream. It was a story about uh, Da Vinci Jeremy, who is from Chile, posted a video back in 2013, May of 2013, on YouTube advising his subscribers to say, trust me in this one, guys. Buy at least a dollar worth of Bitcoin. You will not regret it. Well, it turned out to be true. He knew exactly what he was talking about, it seems. Uh, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, like I had no idea what that was. I still don't know what that is. It's a cyber currency, uh, cryptocurrency that gives value in some sense. Um, it now exploded, right, within 10 years. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it just shows another stock market where you, there's a lot of value in there. by the way. Um, in a viral video, now many years later, it says, but if I'm right, and if you listen to me, I want all of you to thank me. It will not, make me ha- it will not only make me happy, but it will prove my point if you come back 10 years later saying, I wish I listened to you. Right? And all of us, thinking back to it, would love to hop on a uh, time machine, as they talk about in Marvel movies, go back and invest in Uh, Bitcoin, and you and I were living a different life right now, as we would say. Um, It seems like his life has changed as a result of that. He had a right idea, invested in what he thought was valuable at the time. Everything that he had, now his life is changed. How often have you ever thought like this? Thinking about an opportunity, perhaps, that was lost. Although not all of us are well-versed in the stock market, and I advise you not to jump in if you don't know those things. This is not about stock market. There's a lot of other guys in our church that are better to talk about this than I am. I'm not telling you to invest in Bitcoin. Please don't do that. Don't tell, like, my pastor told me to buy Bitcoin today, so that's what I'm going to do. Or I'm going to give to Bitcoin what I was supposed to give God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not promising you that this will turn out to be great investment. Just using an illustration, right? Just illustration. Just want to make that clear, right? Um, but we all counter the cost, don't we? We think about the things we lost. In a business sense, we call it opportunity cost that was lost if you do certain things at the expense of the other. Um, not all of us do stock market as I share, but we all count the cost. We all weigh the differences of thinking, should I invest in this of my time here, or should I do this? For example... As the alarm clock goes off this morning, you made a choice, right? You were thinking, is it worthwhile for me to wake up to go to church? Or is my bed more inviting today? Is it worth it for me to go to a church to worship with God's people? Or is it worth it for me to have 15 more minutes of nap time? Um, Is it worth for me to go to this particular church as opposed to the other? Do I wear this kind of clothing that represents this kind of style or do I wear this kind of clothing that represents this kind of style? We all count the cost. Do I buy this type of food that will give me this kind of fulfillment? Or do I eat salad for this health reasons? Right? We often choose the other four reasons. Um, we all count the cost. We all think about what it would impact, how it would impact not only now, but our future. We do this with our time, our energy, with our studies. We do this with relationships with people, thinking how much spend do I spend time with here? How do I present myself here? We all do those things. And thus far, as we looked at the kingdom of God, the parable, living under God's rule through this parable, we saw how Jesus is walking his disciples and people through this. The parable of sower, we saw, was a different responses that people have when God's kingdom, the story of God's kingdom is presented. The parable of the weed we looked at, talked about why the kingdom hasn't fully realized to its potential as Jesus promised it to be. Last week when we looked at the parable of mustard seeds and Laban, we also looked at the surprising, the eventual victory of God's kingdom because God's kingdom will win out. In today's parable, as you look at the parable of the kingdom, the final parable in this kingdom series, what Jesus is teaching us is now knowing the value and the worth of the kingdom of God and how eventually God's kingdom will come about and will be victorious, what should you and I do with the kingdom when we find it? What would we do if you and I have an opportunity of a lifetime, not only for you to be financially well off in the years later, but what would you do if the kingdom of God that deals with life and death is presented to you? And here, what Jesus is telling us is there's something greater than the Bitcoin could ever dream of, something greater than even your comfort, the joys of your bed, the sleep is here. It deals with your eternity and what you are, not only what is to come in the future, but deals with what you're ultimately made to do and made to live for. And when you find that, when you find that purpose, the joy How you're created to be, how are you going to grasp that? How are you going to invest that in your life? How are you going to live according to what God has shared with you? And that's what we see, kingdom economy, how you and I are created to live according to the kingdom of God. And two things we see as we often think about investment, how do you invest in it? And ultimately the question is, what is my return on investment if I invest in it? How do you invest in it? And what's my return on investment when you actually invest in it? The first question we ask is, how do you invest in something that changes your life, right? How do you invest in something that flips your life upside down? According to Warren Buffett, who is a renowned investor, known for his shrewd investment strategy, when asked about his strategy in how to invest, he once said, the first rule of an investment is do not lose your money. I'm like, wow, that's smart. Second rule of investment is don't forget the first rule, right? Don't lose your money. And that's all the rule that there is in proper investment. In order not to lose your investment, he says don't lose your money, but that means you also have to know what you're investing in. You have to know the value of what you're investing in. The question of the kingdom economy answers that as well in verse 44 through 46. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on a lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Here, we find different ways a person comes upon the kingdom of heaven. First example shows us an unintentional stumbling into finding this great treasure. Verse 44 talks about the parable that shows one finds the treasure unintentionally, stumbling upon it. Back in this time where the parable is situated in ancient Near Eastern time, it's not like they have banks, right? It's not like you open up a bank and say, here's my money, and I'll kind of find it later. What they often did in this often war-torn where without banks and safe at the time is you will bury your treasure in the field, right? And then you'll mark it, and you'll come back later at your savings. Oftentimes, sometimes you will forget about those things. The law stated at the time that if you own the land, the head a treasure in it is yours. So often, you'll dig in, you find the treasure. It's not like you have a token that said, this is mine. Oftentimes, you do not know who put it there, but if you own the field... You own it. So some of you are thinking, like, we got to find the person who put it there, all that stuff. So don't put your mind into it. Think about the timing and the mindset of the people of the biblical times. They had no moral issues with this, right? So what happened was this person found the field, and there was a treasure that was buried in it, and said, this is a valuable piece of land. So he sows everything he had to get the land, right? He's not even looking for it at the time. He stumbles upon it, and he finds this great gift. Verse 45 talks about intentionally searching for this great treasure. Merchants and pearls were in great demand at the time. Think of like pearls as your diamonds, right? Diamonds. So you could get a poor quality diamonds in the Red Sea at the time of this thing, But the good ones, the, great di- the pearls that people were looking for, came from the Persian Gulf, even as far away as India and Sri Lanka at the time. So here, a merchant in 40, verse 45 is a... Merchant who is intentionally looking for a great choice pearl, when he finds this beautiful pearl that is worth everything, he sells basically all the other pearls he's got, and he gets this pearl. And that's how Jesus says, Sometimes the kingdom of God is found as you intentionally seek out the great treasure, and this is how the kingdom is found. Some stumble upon it unintentionally. Some Find it after seeking intentionally. Some cannot see it because it's hidden. Some find it after intensely longing and searching for it. So, what's the key point in all this? Why is Jesus giving us two different ways where you could find this great treasure to invest in it? The key point, church, is that God determines how the treasure is found. It is God who is ultimately the one that decides. It is God who ultimately reveals himself to his people. And it is God who ultimately, on his own will, decides who will receive this gift of God or not. Therefore, Jesus says, ask God to open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart, to see, hear, and receive the treasure, the kingdom of God. And ultimately, the faith, as we see, is the gift of God given to us. Some, despite hearing it, is hidden from them. Here, what we find is the beauty of what we call, and theologians call their unconditional election, right? It's not any precondition that you bring to find the kingdom, the treasure of God. It doesn't matter if you are a farmer who are considered to be poor at the time or a merchant who you consider to be rich at the time. It doesn't matter if you stumble upon it or the merchants who travel extensively looking for it. The beneficiary of the kingdoms are diverse, different, not at all like. Some are poor, some are rich, some are looking for a long time, some are just stumbling upon it. I remember a big time, one time, I was talking to one of my youth students, and he always, always wanted this amazing testimony. Have you heard of this amazing gospel testimonies? Uh, One of the testimonies I heard from uh, my previous pastor was that he ran away from the Lord for a long time, almost like Paul's story, right? And at this gas station, as he was hugging the toilet bowl after he was drunk, he said, I cannot live like this. And God met him at this gas station toilet revealed himself to them. And people were like, wow, what an amazing testimony. I want that. And I had this youth student who always go and say, Pastor, I don't have stories like that. I grew up in church all my life. There was not a moment that I did not believe in the Lord. And I told this youth student, that's just as blessing as the other story is. Just because your story differs does not make it any less. We often focus our lens on our own experience of it, human side of it all, but we forget it is God who draws God's people near. If I were to survey this room, church, every single of our story will be different. Someone will be like farmers here. Someone will be like merchants here. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? No matter what story, what background we come from, God draws people near to him. People often say, why multi-ethnic church? right?" It's not some principle we like. It's a biblical concept that happens as a result of the gospel. It's not that we search and seek out multi-ethnicity as the end goal of the church. We seek out the gospel, we find this treasure of God, and guess who gets to come around it? Not just one particular race of people. It's not a white man's religion. It is because the gospel draws God's people, chosen by God. We cannot help but to be diverse because God's story is diverse. But one God, true God, brings his people together. And there's one thing that unites all of that. You know what that is? It costs everything of you to grasp it. Notice this story. The farmer sells everything he's got. He tries his best to get enough money. Perhaps he borrowed begged all that he can to get the field that he had the treasure in. Same thing with the merchant, right? He required him to sell all that he had in order to get this great pearl that he desired. That's what the kingdom of God is worth, Jesus is telling us. No matter how you stumble upon it, no matter what background, what status, what position, what money, all that, what God requires is all of you, all of your heart, to invest in this kingdom of God. And it is so worth it, is what Jesus is telling us. Uh, one of the rites, write of passage for me um, as a pastor Uh, was riding a roller coaster. You may think, why? Um, I was a youth pastor a long time ago, and one of the things that my youth ministry, um, the history of our youth ministry, was to take a field trip to uh, Six Flags, kind of like carowinds. I know that there has been a news story in carowinds where the roller coaster is broken. Imagine that. Uh, On top of that, I had this fear of heights. I still have fear of heights. So every time I look at a roller coaster, I think, why would someone do this? Why? There are other things we can do that puts our life at risk, mainly driving, right? Why would we do something like this? And I often would tell my kids, only if you kill me and put my dead body up there, I'll go on this roller coaster ride with you. Please do not put me through this torture. And of course, they would not relent. So I would always have to ride the most, the baddest, the scariest one, and we we'll say, I did it, right? Okay, so leave me alone. It's a ride of passes I will do. But it is absolutely true. Do you know that? When you ride a roller coaster, I actually was reading through this because I was so much fear of writing this, and I told our youth kids this. Do you know when you ride a roller coaster, you sign a waiver? I mean, the, it's part of the ticket. What the waiver says this, release and the waiver. I waive and relinquish all claims I may have, and which may accrue to me as a result of participating in an event against roller coaster race. You relinquish all your rights, basically, right? If you die, you die. I'm not going to fault you for it, right? They say, I, for myself and my heirs, do hereby fully release, not just me, but my heirs, my future heirs, (laughs) do hereby fully release and forever discharge the administrators from any and all claims for injuries, including death or incapacity, illness, damages, expenses, or loss that I may suffer arising out of, connected with, or any way associated with the event, including injuries caused or associated with transportation to and from the event. I agree to all this. And then you write it. For how long? Two minutes. For a thrill. And I would always say, do you really want to do this, guys? They're like, absolutely. (laughs) Again and again and again and again. You're doing this again and again and again. Even for a simple roller coaster. church, we are willing to relinquish all of our life for it. Even for a simple ride, for two, three minutes at a time, we're willing to invest all of us, physically, emotionally, spiritually, right? In some sense, all of it. And here, what God is telling us, Jesus is telling us, kingdom of God is costly. Don't ever someone tell you just because it's free gift of God, it doesn't cost you anything. It is absolutely free gift that you get to receive. But the cost of your life is all of it. Not because it's so costly in itself, but because it is so worth it. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, we ought to invest all of our life, all of us into it. And that's what Bible tells us finding a true treasure is like. This is what you're made to be. Do you know that? It's not only because you invest it, because it's costly, but it is because what you're made for. We often think it is maybe just a little bit of here, a little bit of there, but the Scripture tells us it's all of your life. It's not just Sunday for one hour that you get to invest in and check off and say, I'm a Christian. It's not just one moment of conscious choice to say, I'm going to read this chapter of the Bible today. What the Scripture reminds us is to be a follower of Christ, it is what you're made to be. It means your life, all of it, is invested in it. It's not saying all church at all times. But it is saying at the heart, at the heart of one who follows Christ, the question is: Who is the king? Amen. Who is the one that's leading you? So you and I want to be the best parent around, not because what gives you ultimate joy is not the kids that fulfill your joy and dream, because our kids are called to leave and cleave eventually. But because God calls us as we pursue Him to realize it is our main role to disciple our children. We want to be best husbands and wives. Why? Not because it gives you ultimate joy to have your best friend as your roommate, forever movie watcher, but because the Bible tells us the pictures, the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. That's why you and I are called to love our spouses. We want to be the best worker in our places. Not because you want the promotion or get more pay, but because you're made to work. And bring about not only preaching the gospel, but preaching the gospel through your work to bring what we call a common grace, the good to others, good to this world. That is what you're made to do. So as you receive this calling and purpose, it's not only following after Christ on Sunday mornings, raising your hand, saying, I trust the Lord this Sunday morning. We need to do that. But it is also saying on Monday morning, raising your hand and saying, I trust in the Lord. He answered me as I'm changing my diapers, as I'm going to those cubicles time and again, time again, as I study for my test, as I walk into these places, I trust in the Lord because God requires all of me to follow after him. And Jesus said, it is so worth it." So the second question we have is, how do you invest in it with all your life? And what is the return on investment of all this? Uh, Ron Wayne is one of the three founders of Apple, Apple Computer. I know some of you have Apple stuff, and some of you hate Apple. You like Google, I get it, but just bear with me. Uh, Ron Wayne drew the first Apple logo back in 1976, And also wrote three men's original partnership agreement. And wrote Apple One, first computer, manual. But his name is virtually unknown. And in the new story of Steve Jobs, his role in the Apple is virtually glossed over. Do you know why? Because soon after the company began, he sold his share, 10% of the company, for $800. I know. Today, I mean, I, I, I reached this a while back. That, that At the time, the 10%, I'm sure it's a lot more now. 10% of the company now, you know how much it's worth? $35 billion. $35 billion. He sold 10% for $800 that is worth $35 billion today. The question is, what is the return on investment that he had? He lost it. What Jesus tells us, church, in this story, especially when we look at verse 47, it's not just about finances. The reason why Jesus said you must grasp all with all your life, it is because it's your life. It's eternity, creative purpose. Verse 47 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up to the shore, sat down, sorted the good fish into the crates, threw the bad ones away. And that is the way. And Jesus is very clear, isn't it? It will be at the end of the world. Angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, the weeping of gnashing of teeth is indication of hell, eternal separation from God. is is described in verse 50 here. The kingdom's promise, as Jesus tells us, is this, that this is not merely finances, how big of a house you're going to have in heaven, how well you're going to live now and in the future. What Jesus is saying, the reason why it costs all of your life is, is the promise of the kingdom is also eternity. It is not just living fulfilling life as you could live today, but it's also talking about your eternal destiny. It's not just about kingdom eternity for your oneself either, but as the entire world as we know it. The parable draws the disciples in, many of them the fishermen, back to the original story that they're really familiar with, the dragnet fishing. It is very similar to the parable of tears. The point is the end time when Jesus comes back. What Jesus tells the disciples is that he will separate those who are not his from those who are not. When kingdom is fully realized, we don't see it right now, but Jesus says, I will take those who are mine, in this parable, good fish, and take them with me. And those who are considered bad fish, they will throw them away into the kingdom of darkness, where there will be whipping and gnashing of teeth. Church, this is where we have to be absolutely clear as Christians, those who follow Christ. Church is a place where we invite all people to come and hear the gospel. But we also have to preach that once Jesus returns, there will be eternal separation. You know, there's a reason why when we do communion, we only ask those who place their faith in the Lord to come. And I often say, perhaps this is another sign to show you there is a separation. And the only way the separation can be mended if, if you place your absolute trust in Christ in Christ alone. We have to preach that. You know why? Because Jesus preached that. He never shied away from that. No matter what kind of parable he used to connect with the people around him, no matter how old, young people were, he always spoke about the end time and those who chose, those who he call the kingdom of God that is to come. And he promises that those who place their absolute trust in him Will have eternal life, those who do not will have eternal damnation, and there's no way about it, there's no side way about it. It is either you trust in the Lord or you do not, and that is at the heart of the gospel message. So, today, if you came to our church for the first time or the thousandth time, never placed your faith in the Lord, this is God's call again for you to examine your hearts. Listen to the gospel message. This is why pray to open your eyes, to open your ears, open your heart, to see, hear, and receive the gospel message that Christ died for your sin. He rose again. And only way to have eternal life is through Him. And if you have received Him and here have heard this again a thousand times, rejoice in the joy of the Lord. That because, only because, He has chosen you and you received him that you do not go to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every Sunday, church, is a picture of the gospel, picture of the separation, but picture of gospel grace that covers us. Every Sunday as we gather, it shouldn't just be, I came to Sunday, worship felt great to go home. It's a time for you to make a commitment to follow Christ but also for those who have done so to renew your command, to remember, as we say, preach Christ crucified until he returns. And we often think about this as a delayed gratification, don't we? And I think as a a young child, I always, always think the same way. I was thinking like, okay, so you're telling me, like, just hold on until something greater will come. Right? It's like mom telling you, don't eat that, don't eat that fries, because you know, we're going to get the steak later. I'm like, But steak, the fries look so much better right now. I want it so bad. But mom would always say, just wait, just wait, and just wait. There will be hardships. You will pass, but something greater will come. And Sometimes I think we only think of the gospel in that sense. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying endure for a little while and you'll get your reward a life later. After a tough week of work, you'll get a joy of Friday. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the kingdom life is living your treasure-filled life today as you anticipate the full enjoyment of it later without the hindrance of sin in the world. That means rather than just waiting for the kingdom to come, you and I are called to enjoy God's creation today. Called to enjoy God's work today, our parenting, our school, but also anticipate the suffering that comes with it. Not only because of the circumstances, but the joy of the process of God redeeming the world through you. That's why, despite the challenges you and I face today, we are faithfully Living out God's presence in our life. To be a kingdom citizen does not merely mean buckle down and wait. There's some of that. But being a kingdom citizen means, yes, you buckle down and wait, but also enjoy God's grace that's available for you now. We call this already, not yet. Jesus came, and through God's agents, God's bringing about His kingdom work, and you get to be God's witness in the world. And that's what it means to receive God's kingdom at hand It's to abandon the way of sinners, abandon the way of old sin. As you follow after Christ, as you are transformed, live according to where you're meant to be, you long for a time when the kingdom is finally realized. Sin no longer entangles you and others. The joy that you long for is complete. And that's what we hear from the testimonies of our saints of the past, don't we? This is Apostle Paul at the end of his life saying this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you notice that? He's not just merely talking about, I want to be in heaven with the Lord. That's why I do all these things. He's saying, in this present moment, I suffer because I get to partake in the path that Christ has gone. I count it as my joy. Even through this life, I get to picture who Christ is. And that is what it means to be a follower of Christ, church. To be willing, to be able, by the grace of God, to become more and more like him, to know him. The heaven is not a place where you play harp and float around and enjoy joys of nice gourmet food that God provides for us. Heaven is a place where you get to know him deeply. And what we are called for those who follow Christ is get to know him on this side of eternity as you long to know him fully in the future that is to come. And Paul, who seemingly had what the world had to offer, education, position, power, influence, rather said, it is more worth for me. The return on investment is worth it so much more to simply know his maker. Church, that's the challenge we receive every Sunday as we gather. Is it worth our investment? Christ says, absolutely. Look upon me on the way, the truth, and the life I am your, the greatest treasure. Once you find me, grab onto me with all of your life and I will, as we sang, answer. The kingdom is coming. The question a lot of people had this week in the world of soccer was, is Messi worth it? Some of you are like, who's Messi, right? I know Messi arguably, I know there are Cristiano Ronaldo fans out there, including myself, arguably the greatest soccer player ever lived. For many avid soccer fans, perhaps even most casual fans in the world, have heard of his name as Messi, simply Messi. He is none other than the biggest name in the global soccer today. And this big-time player is coming to play in the U.S. Soccer League, MLS. Some say it's like Major League Baseball player playing double-A. You know, for the European soccer snobs, we'll say not even double A, right? Like, like some farm league is coming to play. But the question is, well, he's past his prime. In NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL-owned country, not pickable owned country, right? <laughs> is it worth all this mess, right? All this craziness. Also playing for the last place team in MLS. Well, you tell me. The ticket prices soared 500% before the first game. The stadium packed with celebrities, diehard and casual fans alike. And when he came on, he played, and at the dying minutes, with one kick, he captured the heart of the city of Miami. On the stoppage time, for those non-soccer fans, that basically an equivalent of sudden death over time. Messi curled in a beautiful free kick to win the game for Inter Miami. Amidst all the drama, the praise, I love what his coach said the best. When they asked, what do you think? He said, well, it's common for him, you know. He's done this thousands of times before. Half tongue-in-cheek, but you follow it, you've seen this. Not only here, but in the global stages you know he has done this time and time and time again. But as one writer said, it isn't just that free kick that changed everything. He has done it a thousand times before. It actually changed when he stepped onto that field. Now, Messi to soccer, and it's still debatable, as I said. For some of you, we're like, no. Cristiano Ronaldo to soccer may be the right illustration here. But Messy to soccer is a global phenomenon. Gospel tells us gospel story, Jesus' life is all the more. It's not just for him to call you, to give you this illustration. The moment he stepped on the earth, the world changed. The moment he took steps to Calvary, the world changed. The moment he stretched his arms on the cross and died, the world changed. The moment he rose again from the dead, the moment changed. And the moment those who follow Christ place their absolute trust in the Lord, your life ultimately changes. And this is Christ Central, isn't it? This is your story, this is our testimony. May we praise the Savior and embrace Him with all of our life. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? As we come to the Lord's table, again, God's grace available for us by His sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this grace of God that invites us to place our absolute trust and life in Him. We thank You that by Your grace we come, and by Your grace we are saved We pray that, Lord, those who do not know Christ will come to know him, knowing that it is life and death. Lord, may we embrace this gospel truth again. We thank you for the torn flesh. Thank you for the spilled blood. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Christ, let me pray. Amen.